Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Lang, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Burton. In this podcast, we will talk about all things mental health. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, Liz Lang here with Dr. Mark Burton, and this week we're going to get into isolation. And I kind of mentioned last week why it's taken me so long to get to this topic. I think it's because I have maybe some unresolved trauma. (laughs) (laughs) What is your trauma, Liz? (laughs) Oh, the pandemic was horrible for this for me. I mean, because I'm an extrovert and it was so emotionally painful to be isolated like that. And then moving to Indiana certainly didn't help. It was really hard. And you know, when we first started doing this podcast, I thought, well, maybe we could do a topic on that. And then I thought, no, it's not going to be relevant because the pandemic is almost over. And then it wasn't almost over. (laughs) So anyways, but, you know, I think there are reasons outside of a pandemic that people can be isolated. And so I think it's important to talk about isolation. We are going to get into the effects of the pandemic and isolation kind of surrounding that. But, you know, In this day and age, well, in today's world, post-pandemic, a lot of people work from home. And isolation can be a problem with that. And so this is an important topic to talk about. You know, when you and I were discussing, you know, if we would do this, I think I had just had a client and I hadn't realized that that, um, the negative effect that was still going on. I mean, I knew, you know, during the height of the pandemic, it was pretty easy to see. But again, you know, things have really loosened up quite a bit. And a woman came in who was working from home and she found it very difficult or almost impossible to leave the house. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when, once you become isolated for some people, this doesn't mm-hmm. happen for everyone, certainly, but she then became fearful of leaving the house. And it, so that fear generalized. So I understand if you if you're a little apprehensive about, you know, getting the virus, but if you don't push yourself to go back out, mm-hmm. then the fear gets bigger. I think we've talked about how, you know, if you stay away from fears or if you they can get really big. And I think that's probably happened for some people. And so they remain isolated. Yeah. Well, and so isolation can genuinely be damaging to human beings. Mm-hmm. We are we are social creatures. We are not meant to be isolated. Now, some people like more human interaction than others. And so that's not what we're talking about. There are people who I guess you might kind of call them a hermit. They like to be alone. They like, you know, they like their peace. They like their quiet. Even those people who seem to be hermits, they still need socialization. Everybody needs it. Well, there should be, we should talk about the difference between isolation and loneliness because they're different. So if you're isolated for whatever reason, then you can also be lonely. But if you choose to be isolated, you may not be lonely. Okay. You know, if it's a choice and there aren't any negative effects, so you're talking about the hermit, you mm-hmm. know, that they they choose to live in the cave and they're okay with it and they're okay not seeing people very often. You can also be lonely and not be isolated. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for instance, you can be in a group of people. I mean, I see people all the time who have some sort of social anxiety. They can be in the middle of the people and they pull back and they feel really lonely. Or you can be in a marriage. I see this all the time. You can be in a marriage and feel lonely. 
because you don't have that uh, connection. So I think, you know, as you said a few minutes ago, being social creatures, we need that emotional connection. Well, you can be around people and not have that emotional connection. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So the isolation, you know, you talked about the, uh, there are certainly mental health effects, uh, you know, increased anxiety, increased depression, higher rates of suicide. But here's one, I ran into this a couple of different places, and I don't know how they came up with this, but so I don't know that I put too much stock in this number I'm going to give you, but it just shows that there are big physiological effects. It says one study described the effects of a lack of social connection as being comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. I think it just gives you an idea of how damaging it can be. on yeah. our. So going back to the two part, you can choose to be isolated. Mm-hmm. And some, I mean, I guess in the extreme, an extrovert or an introvert may choose to be more isolated and be okay with it. I think I told you this before, you know, I, I was so prepared for the pandemic because I'm, I am an introvert and I thought this is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I quite liked it. And I loved, I, I, I still went out. In fact, I never quit going to the office myself, Lindy and our daughter, Adrian, the others did not come into the office. Mm-hmm. The others in our group, we never quit and we were always there. And I, I just always felt safe. I loved going to Costco with my mask on and my sunglasses and my hat. (laughs) I thought that was a great, that was the greatest thing for me. I can go incognito everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. But so for some people, isolation is not as damaging, but then, you know, I still have a lot of strong relationships. So mental health wise, it's, it's damaging. So if you are not necessarily choosing to be isolated, you know, I think that's an important thing that yeah. some people are isolated. Maybe they're in, maybe they have to live in a place out in the country that is isolated, which those places certainly exist throughout the world. They exist mm-hmm. in our country. They exist in the state of Utah, you know, where you're out looking for whatever reason. And so that I think is hard, that type of isolation. Certainly the pandemic was very hard for a lot of people because of that, what they thought was forced isolation. But again, you know, 15 cigarettes a day, what it's saying is it decreases your lifespan. Well, and so, because we know that relationships are what make us happy. Right. And, you know, right. and connecting to people and consider how hard it is to connect with someone if you can't see them on a regular basis. And you certainly can. In fact, it's been almost three years now since I moved from Utah to Indiana. And I have a friend who I've remained very, very close with. We've been able to maintain that connection, uh, you know, despite the distance. But it's harder to certainly form new connections. Right. And. Mm-hmm you know, it can be hard to maintain old ones. I mean, and I also think of my parents who I still have a very strong connection with, right. And that I'm still, I still feel very close to, even though they live even farther away, they live in Washington state and I'm over in Indiana. But I think really when isolation becomes dangerous is when there's a lack of connection, right. And that's, if you don't have enough connection. And so maybe that's really what it comes down to is connection is the key. If you're missing that, then it's just, it's not good. This isn't actually true, but I guess in a way I kind of, I have this thought of more people means more years in your life, right? The more people you have, the longer you're going to live, which isn't necessarily true, 
Well, I think there are other factors, but yes. it, it, it it is an important factor. I mean, yeah. one of the studies indicated 30% chance of an early death, increased risk of early death if you're socially isolated without those connections. So yeah, it has profound physical effect, mm-hmm. which means the opposite is true, which yeah. is, you know, if you have good connections. And I think it's important for listeners to understand it's not like you need a whole group of friends. You need one yeah. or two really good, you know, connections with other people. And that's really good enough. I mean, a lot of people are really good. In, uh, extroverts typically are really good at, you know, maintaining friendships. And uh, introverts typically are not. I'm not that great at maintaining friendships. So, so my daughter, Adrian, who you've mm-hmm. heard on this podcast, is a real extrovert. She does an amazing job of maintaining her friendships from, in fact, she's leaving tomorrow to go spend the weekend with high school friends. So, Oh, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm not, I'm an extrovert and I'm not close with anybody from high school. (laughs) So it's not that I wouldn't want to see them. I mean, there's certainly people that I went to high school with that if I go back to Washington, I try to see, but I mean, I'm not, I don't know that I would go away to spend a weekend. I mean, I guess if we lived in the same state, it yeah. takes effort. Yeah. 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 So. yeah. Absolutely. And so I think it's also important to maybe kind of at least talk about how isolation can look different for everybody. Right. So, you know, you could be, I mean, like certainly during the pandemic, there was a lot of people who were isolated. But Mark, you said you didn't feel isolated at all. I didn't. But again, for me, I didn't work from home. I yeah. never did. And the whole, however long we want to say the pandemic went on. And, you know, in some states, and I think this is true for Utah, they were saying a lot. I think they used the term lockdown. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Yep, it was lockdown. And and so being a mental health provider, we were not under those restrictions at all. We were like a healthcare provider. And so I, I always chose to go into work and anybody who wanted to come in, I saw them in the office and we were careful and I certainly never got COVID until way after that. So I was fine with the, it was a little more isolating, but I was fine with that, but I still got out. I still went to the store. I didn't, you know, a lot of people quit going to the store. They had food and groceries delivered. We never stopped doing that. The neighbors across the street, I know they isolated from their family, from their extended family. And a lot of people did that. You know, I've, I heard stories of grandparents who I think there was a lot of misinformation that was given out that yeah. we don't need to go into. But I think a lot of people felt like they were more at risk than maybe they were. Yes. And so, like, for me, being a grandparent, I heard these stories of grandparents isolating from their grandchildren. I thought, that is really sad. Mm-hmm. We never did that. We created what we called our pod. Mm-hmm. And so we had our group, our extended family and uh, we made sure everybody was being wise. And so we never quit with the, with our family interactions at all. Where, whereas I remember, you know, that first Thanksgiving, a lot of people were saying, don't, don't travel for Thanksgiving. Don't have extended family for Thanksgiving. We never did that. Okay. And so, I mean, my experience, I, I mean, I more or less did the same thing. We still went to stores, right? Yeah. I mean, we still did shopping. We didn't completely isolate, but it was still so hard for me because I lost a lot of social connections. I wasn't going to church anymore. And that was really hard because I got a lot of socialization from church. 
Yeah. Right. And then, you know, I had friends that I would regularly get together with in, you know, in fact, this friend that I mentioned that lives in Utah that I'm still really close with, we would get together once a week, every week for the whole, for almost the entire five years that I was in Utah, we were getting mm. together one day every week and just spending almost the entire day together with our kids, letting our kids play. We would hang out and losing that was hard for me. And so one coping method that we did find is we would go to an empty parking lot and we would talk in our cars, right? Oh, so we would meet okay. for, and, and, and that kind of became a thing. It was, you know, cause yeah. you're outside and, and so it's less risky and you're just kind of talking to each other, you know, from a distance through your cars. Right. And so we would do that a little bit, but I mean, overall, like it was just, it was hard. And then moving to Indiana was even harder. I mean, I explain it as I gave up my blossoming mom social life and moved to a cornfield in the middle of Indiana. <laughs> right. I mean, and because my mother-in-law, she lives right across the street from from this big cornfield. And uh-huh. but she lives in a really, really small town. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it was even further isolating. And I mean, mentally and emotionally, it was really, really tough for me. I mean, when we finally started going out, I think going out and seeing people again, it, I mean, I was like people, yay, people again. I was just so excited to go see people. And I, yes, I still maintained my connections. Like I still talked to family, right. And, and Mm -hmm. I even lived with my mother-in-law, which I guess didn't make me necessarily isolated, but I still felt really isolated. It was just hard for me. So if we look at the different situations, because you mentioned that, you know, isolation is going to look different depending on your situation. And so I think that here are some different ways that people can be isolated. If you're unemployed, then often mm-hmm. you become isolated. And I think often that has to do with, say, the shame of being unemployed. And you don't want to, because often if we go out and we meet friends, the first thing they're going to say, oh, what do you do? Uh, you know, or how's work going? And then it's very hard to say, well, I got laid off or I'm unemployed. And so uh, a lot of people, they just avoid that Mm -hmm. by staying isolated. I think physical impairments, you know, Mm -hmm. so if you have uh, some sort of physical uh, thing, disability that limits your mobility, then it's going to be much harder to get out. And and that will create, you know, the sense of isolation. Remote location, which we talked about, you know, some people live or work in remote uh, areas, mm-hmm. mental health issues, anxiety, yeah. depression, you know, social anxiety, certainly agoraphobia prevent people from. So what a lot of people, I think, forget is that the person who's isolating typically doesn't want to be isolated. Yeah. And, you know, it's just that there are other things that are either mental health or physical or situational that are preventing them from getting out. Often a loss of a loved one, we become isolated because of grief. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done an episode on grief uh, in the past. And I think often the way we deal with grief is to isolate because we feel like no one can understand what what it is I'm experiencing. So we pull in. Then even if you're in a domestic violence situation, Yes. Certainly with, uh, I mean, typically, statistically, it's going to be the female is going to be the one who's uh, have violence towards. And that can be isolating. And, uh, you know, if you if you've got bruises or, you know, again, if you go out and someone says, oh, you know, what happened to you? That 
is either shameful or hard or, you know, you're afraid of any number of reasons. And so you tend to isolate. So I think all of those are different cases of isolation that are going to look different. But I think the common theme is that you really don't want to be isolated. And that's kind of the defining feature. You know, when I mentioned um, loneliness before, I mean, one of the big differences, loneliness is more of a subjective feeling. Yeah. I feel lonely. And so that's why you can feel lonely in a crowd of people. You can feel lonely alone, uh, you know, when you are isolated. But the isolation we're talking about is, I I think it's isolation where we aren't making the choice to be isolated. The one that I didn't mention that I don't know is somewhat controversial. I think our listeners will know and remember that I have a somewhat negative attitude towards social media. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of people say that social media helps you connect, Yep, which I think is true to a certain extent. So for instance, if you're older and can't get out, then I think it's really important that you do whatever you can to connect. And that's, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways, it's going to be through social media. But if you're, say, a young adult or a teenager and you're using social media, you're really missing out on some important developmental, you know, skills that you can learn. And I think that can be isolating. And I believe often they don't realize what's going on, that if possible, and I know this is in an ideal situation, if possible, it's, I think it's better to do face-to-face connection, right? Mm -hmm. Like you probably felt with your friend, even though you're in a car, I mean, that felt a little weird. I would guess that you're in a car sitting in the parking lot Mm -hmm. because you can't be as free and as open. It's just, it just feels different. Well, can you imagine if the only, my only connection is through some social media app or texting? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think they have connection and there is a connection to a point, but it's different than face-to-face. It's very different than what we get in person. And so I think social media can be isolating. Oh, it absolutely can. And we study after study has shown that your mental health will be better if you limit your social media use. Now, I understand there are certainly people who use social media platforms in their business, right? Uh And so, and and I I want to emphasize that's different, right? I'm talking about just, mindlessly using social media or if you're using it for entertainment or if it's your only form of connection with people and you have the ability to go out and connect with people and you're choosing social media instead, that is a serious problem, especially for adolescents. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, I don't think very many, I don't know that any adolescents should really be on social media. And keep in mind, my oldest is only 10. So we haven't really crossed that bridge yet. We haven't really come to a decision on that. But my 10-year-old is absolutely not allowed to have her own Facebook or any sort of account, right? You know that I agree with that. And I don't know if you follow what happened in the Utah legislature, and I think it's happening other places, is they put some restrictions on adolescents and social media. And I think we're one of the first states to do that. And I really agree with that. And so just for information for our listeners, if you're a parent, I think every parent should sit down and watch what it's a Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. Okay. 
And it is, I think it's really important for parents to see. I think if you have adolescents, I think they could see it uh, as well uh, to see the negative influence and what it can do. I think it's really an important documentary. So I kind of, I, I guess I kind of grew up in, in some ways you might call it a golden age where, you know, I grew up right at the boom of technology. So mm-hmm. cell phones weren't really prevalent. They're not, they weren't nearly as prevalent as they are now when I was, say, in middle school. When I was in middle school, not very many kids had cell phones. Very few middle schoolers had a cell phone that they kept with them. In fact, we weren't allowed to. And by the time I got into high school, I think almost everybody in high school had a cell phone. And so, you know, I kind of grew up in this age where I learned both. I kind of got the best of both worlds. I grew up social media and technology, not completely technology free, but, you know, social media wasn't a thing when I was in elementary school. I mean, I think MySpace has started to come along and I didn't do that. And then, you know, I got in on Facebook when I was, I think, like a freshman in high school. And so I kind of I feel like I had the best of both worlds is because I learned that aspect of social media. And I don't want parents to think we're just completely saying no social media ever because there are some good things and you have to keep in mind that one way or another, your kids are going to get on social media. They will find a way. And, and I'm a firm believer of doing it in a controlled environment as much Mm -hmm. as you can. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you're better off just you yourself introducing your kid to social media and say, you know, you're going to have this account, but I have access to it. So, and, and we've done other episodes on that before, but you know, I think the point I'm trying to make is I was able to learn and develop social skills, yeah. interpersonal social skills. And I think that's what so many youth today are losing. And it can be very isolating is they don't know how to connect in person because they're so used to connecting online. Yeah. See, that's that's how it all fits together. Yeah. I, I agree with you. If you don't learn the skills now, then when you're 30 years old, you know, yeah. you don't have those skills to make the connections and then you're lonely or you're isolated. I think it it's really problematic. So, yeah, I think listeners may, I think if they, they've heard us before, they know that we have, you know, somewhat a negative attitude towards social media. But as we've said before, it's just like a drug. The, the artificial intelligence that they use, the only goal is to get you addicted. That's it to yeah. keep you scrolling. That's the yep. addiction. And uh, your brain is looks just like you're on uh, a drug. So it's isolating. And, but I think you bring up a really good point that, you know, for an adolescent, you aren't thinking about what are you going to be like when you're 30 or 35. Yep. But that lack of social skill will definitely negatively impact your life. When yeah. You're older. yeah, it will. And so I don't have as negative an opinion of social media as you do. Yeah. But, you know, I just, it is so important for kids to learn in-person social interaction, right? Yeah. And now obviously they're going to get that in school. They're going to be forced to do it in school. But I think they also need to learn to do it outside of a school setting because the school setting is very controlled. So you may be a high schooler or a junior high student and you're getting this forced interaction at school, but then you come home and you spend all your time isolated your only social interaction is in a controlled setting. That's not good developmentally. Your kids, yeah. you need to do your best to try to get your kids out there and socializing in an uncontrolled setting. You yeah. know, I mean, one of the great things I've loved about 
the last few neighborhoods that I've lived in is summers. The kids just spend them roaming the neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. Or, it, or outside with other kids. Don't lose that to technology. Parents yeah. do not give that up. Yeah. So I, I think as you know, we're talking about the different types of isolation. I think there are groups of people who are more prone to it. So we've talked about older adults. Mm-hmm. I think that can be limiting in a lot of when they live alone, family might not be near. Often with older adults, there are mobility issues yep. that prevent them from going out. And so in that case, uh, like hearing loss, vision loss, Mm-hmm. That can be really isolating. Some interesting work on hearing loss that if you don't treat it with hearing aids, that it uh, increases the likelihood of dementia, that oh, it actually really? it actually harms your brain. And what they're thinking is that your brain is so hard is is working so hard to try and figure out what's going on. And then the isolation itself is hard on your brain. Mm. And that's not true because I have my hearing aids in, you know, if you treat it say with hearing aids and it's, it's fine. But Mm -hmm. so older adults and going back to the social media, I think that is really important for for adults to be able to connect with other people Mm -hmm. in that way. Immigrants. So language, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think can often lead to socialized isolation, having, you know, economic challenges, immigrants often have economic challenges. Or, and well, and they, they live with, the possible fear mm-hmm. of of deportation you know right. if you're right. if you if feel like if you're, you're undocumented yeah yeah then i mean you're living in constant fear and you're worried who can i trust who can i talk to who can i open up to mm-hmm. right and so that certainly can be very isolating and lonely so before we wrap up i want to get into work from home jobs mm-hmm. and isolation because you know honestly i can say that's from my perspective, that's probably one good thing that came out of this pandemic is how prevalent work from home jobs are, right? And so people have figured out that, hey, we can do this. And maybe not for everybody, but in a lot of ways, I think that's kind of become a positive thing because there are a lot of benefits to working from home, but there can be drawbacks and you need to be aware of the isolation. If you are single and living on your own or living with just a roommate, that may not count as socialization. Right. And so I, I have a client who's an older adult my age, and he, he's an attorney and he's worked from home and still does because the, a lot of work, like you point out, can actually be done at home. Yeah. And there's really no difference in if you're sitting in, say, a home office or sitting in some fancy office in the middle of town, you're doing the same thing. Yep. But he became isolated, uh, really socially isolated. And it's hard to get back into the office, even though they have opened up his office. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's probably been open for a year. But a lot of people stay away because it's just easier. Yeah. Right. But the problem is you don't have that connection. And that's what he found is you don't have the connection day to day. And so for a lot of us, a lot of our connection is about seeing clients in person or seeing our colleagues in person. You know, I see people all the time who still work from home and they're having Zoom meetings all day long. Yep. Yep. It's just, it doesn't feel the same to them. No. Well, it's it's not the same. And it's not the same. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, Curtis can vouch for that, you know, I mean, because he's worked from home for five years now. 
you know, I mean, since before the pandemic and since he switched to this newer job, I mean, I don't know how that man gets anything done because I swear he spends like 60% of his workday on Zoom meeting. And so, yeah, he would agree. It's not a Zoom meeting is not the same as and even Zoom meetings with clients or coworkers. It's not the same as physically being in person. Like he still wants to go out and be social with, you know, human beings that aren't on a screen. Yeah. So for a lot of people who ended up working from home, here's the dilemma. Mm -hmm. The dilemma is it's easier. Yep. And you can get in, in many jobs, you can get the same amount of work done. Oh yeah. But you're isolated. And so the negative effects of the isolation and what's, where's the trade-off? Now, what what some people are doing is they're kind of doing a hybrid is I'll go into the office three days a week and I'll yep. stay home two days a week, which seems like a pretty good compromise to me because then you get some, you get, you know, kind of the best of both worlds. I, I have heard of some firms. So you get both sides with the, with the management of firms once they get back into the office and the others are saying, well, we can save a lot of money. We're just going to give up our office and, yep. and you, everybody's going to work from home. And and so I don't know that there's a right or a wrong, except that you've got to figure out a way to not be so isolated. And so if you're in a situation, say, where you are isolated, but you don't want to be, then I think you have to pay attention to that and maybe do some, you know, other things like, uh, you know, some sort of meditation or relaxation. I think if you're home and isolated, following a routine, structure, what we often get, one of the important things we get from going into an office is structure. Yes. When you're home, you don't have that same structure. Mm-hmm. And so you can change the way you feel about it. It doesn't really necessarily make the isolation any less, but I think it makes it easier that if you create a structure, help maintaining healthy habits, which I think is just the same as um, having a structure. And then in that case, I would use social media as a way to stay connected. Mm -hmm. It's better than not being connected. Yes. I think the other thing you can do is stay informed because some, for some people, what they do is they shut themselves off from the world and the world is still going on out there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, staying informed, being connected, that's in the case where you really can't change it. But I'd strongly suggest, like, if you if you have the opportunity, say, to do a hybrid, go into the work, go go into the office some days, stay at home some days. You get the best of both worlds. Right, and so not everyone does have that option, though. Curtis, no, well, you're certainly right. You're in, right. in either job. I mean, in his first job, it was based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and his current job is based out of Bellevue, Washington. So he really doesn't have that option. And so I think in those instances, community is going to be really important. Yes. Yeah. Find, yeah, find a, some sort of community. And some people, it might be religion, it might be church. There's also all sorts of other social groups. So, you know, Curtis and I have loved getting into the biking community. And so our local bike shop, every Thursday, they sponsor this casual ride. I don't know if they sponsor it, but it, they they do just a casual ride. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. They they organize it. And so, you know, and we really enjoyed that because we get to go out and, and meet different people and you know, it's a it's a community, right? Yeah. And so if if that is an option for you, I mean, and 
for some people, I, I realize it's not. And then I think social media, again, is better than nothing. But, yeah. you know, if you are, if you really are stuck at home, find a community to be a part of. And I can't think of very many communities that are exclusive and are not willing to accept new members. Most right. communities are right. like, oh, yeah, come be a part of this. So it can be a hobby. It can be a skill you want to learn. And again, social media can be a great place to find that. So, find, yeah. so. so the takeaway, I think, from today is uh, isolation, if you aren't choosing to be isolated, mm-hmm. can be detrimental to both your mental and your physical health. And yeah. you should figure out a way to try and change that in some way or at least take care of yourself in a way if you're if you have to be isolated you know and then it's hard and not often people don't have that choice but you need to do something about it yeah. you can't if you just let it go and be isolated it's just too detrimental and you brought this up at the beginning of the episode the longer you go the harder it is to yeah. unisolate so yeah. i mean because eventually you kind of get comfortable in your isolation and while you may be comfortable in some aspects, that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't just diminish your need for connection. Right. And the way I frame that is people are familiar. So I am yeah. familiar with my isolation. I may be uncomfortable in it, but the familiar, being familiar is more important. Yeah. And well, that's not necessarily healthy. No, no, <laughs> it's not. It just, it's easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I mean, easier isn't, always better no it's so, not, it's not at all yeah I think so, sometimes we have to make those hard choices yeah, yeah sometimes you just have to force yourself into uncomfortable situations it's it's hard at first but overall it's going to be better for you yeah yeah all right so next week we're going to get into uncomfortable emotions so stay tuned to hear more of what that's about and we will see you all next week Have a good week, everyone. Have a question for Dr. Burton? How about a topic you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at mentalhealthpod21 at gmail.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Liz Lang. Music is by Audio Lounge. 